My name is Frank Edelblue, and this is American Sunshine. Hi, I'm Jay Lucas, and welcome to American Sunshine, uh, the podcast where we focus on inspiring stories, uh, the power of the human spirit, and all that great re revitalization going on in our communities, our small towns, all across America. And I'm delighted today to be joined by just a wonderful man, a guest, a friend, uh, a man who's making a real difference in the state of New Hampshire, uh, and also just a really good person. Uh, Frank Edelblue, welcome to American Sunshine, the podcast, Frank. Good morning, Jay, and thank you for having me. Well, you know, one of the things we, we love to do here is, as you and I were just talking, Frank, is we love to focus on the positive because there really is so much <laughs> negativity going on out there in so many ways. Um, but you've done so many positive things in your career. And one of the things we like to start with often here on, on American Sunshine is kind of where you grew up, how, where were some of the formative, important lessons early in your life and kind of how did you make it to where you're living today, what you're doing today? And just, if you wouldn't mind, just take us through that journey a little bit because our, our listeners always find that fascinating. Sure. I'd be happy to do that. Um, it's interesting because oftentimes people will ask you the question, like, where did you grow up? And they're trying, they're thinking of a very specific kind of geography and state and city and town or something like that. And, uh, and I often have to tell people I'm a nomad um, <laughs> because I ended up moving around quite a bit when I was growing up. I, um, I actually attended four different high schools in four different states. So I went to oh high school in ninth grade. I was in New Jersey, then in Missouri, then in Connecticut. And then I ultimately graduated um, from high school in Pennsylvania. Um, so where, wow. where are my roots? I'm not actually sure where my roots are um, or they're spread out all over the place. Um, but I share that that kind of uh, experience because I think that was somewhat formative uh, in my perspective. Mm -hmm. um, I come from a fairly large family. So I come from a family of six. Um, yep. And I call that fairly large because I know families with more. And sometimes people look at six and they think, oh, my gosh, that's huge. Um, but uh, what so in that moving around, um, one of the things that really solidified uh, was family. Um, as I often say, we'd sure. show up in the new neighborhood and the Edelblue family was ready to take on anybody who wanted to in soccer. Uh, you know, <laughs> else, you know, like, so we were the new kids on the block, but, you know, got along with my brothers and sisters, uh, continued to get along really well with them um, and just saw the importance of supporting one another kind of in that growing up process. And Frank, if I could just stop you there, because I, I found that fascinating. I didn't know that you had gone to four different high schools, you know, all four years in high school. But I can it's creating a picture in my mind that the, the Edelblue family literally would move into a town. And the, it, it creates a bonding, I think, in the family, that family unit, uh, when you're really at a point in time, you really don't know anybody uh, in that particular community. And it probably drove you closer together, but it also gave you probably some skills uh, in being able to adjust to new environments that a lot of people wouldn't have at that early age. Well, you certainly, um, you know, I suppose you could have either kind of retreated or, uh, you know, just tried to reach out and, and make friends and, uh, and engage in your community. Um, kind of another little known fact, I'm not even sure if I'm allowed to share this kind of a thing. What was interesting is, so I had moved in in my, um, 
junior year in high school, I was in Connecticut and uh, spent the year there, actually ran for uh, class president and won. <laughs> and then I had to leave. I, I left and I went to Pennsylvania. So I, I, often, I look back at that. I, I don't have like vivid memories of it. I'm like, whatever, you know, motivated me to even think to do that. And, uh, you know, a brand new kid in the school, but I guess I was just kind of trying to engage and get involved in what was going on there. You were a star. You were a real star. <laughs> I don't know. Star might not be the right word. Crazy might be the right word to describe that. Like, what was he thinking? That's amazing. Well, yeah. so, 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 so then from high school, how did, with that kind of a background, what were you thinking about you wanted to do and where did it go from there, Frank? Uh, so I, um, you know, when I graduated from high school, I went to college at the University of Rhode Island. Um, I had some friends who had gone there. Um, I had done some sailing while I was growing up. And uh, so they had a, a decent sailing team. And I was like, oh, that might be fun to do. Um, so I ended up going to URI. Um, also a uh, you know, good experience. Loved my college experience. Had a, a good education at the University yeah. of Rhode Island. And um, no, no complaints at all there. Um, I often tell people when I went to school, I thought I was going to be an artist. And so I got into A-line. Um, and I ended up signed up for accounting instead. I'm not sure how that happened, but, uh, and, and how are <laughs> they? They're, they're, close, they're close in the alphabet, but yeah, that's the that. only proximity that they share with one another. Cause I'm like, what happened here that I ended up in accounting? Um, but I, you know, enjoyed that program of study as well. Uh, in college, I, uh, in over one of my summers, I had an opportunity to work in an accounting department for a company, um, in a, in the town where we were living at the time. And, uh, and that kind of further solidified it. And then I actually, I read a book and at the time it was called the big eight. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, it's the big like eight. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Large accounting firms, right there. There's only the big four these days. Um, but I read that book and I was kind of fascinated with it. So I, um, ended up pursuing, uh, you know, my accounting career and, uh, graduated, joined, uh, a company called PricewaterhouseCoopers, um, Initially, I graduated it from you know Rhode Island, so you would ordinarily think that I would end up being uh, you know ending up in an office in Boston or in Providence or something like sure. that. But um, my now wife uh, had moved to Florida, so I arranged with Price Waterhouse to move down to Florida, and I joined the Fort Lauderdale office of Price Waterhouse Coopers, which ultimately was run kind of as a cluster between Miami, Fort Lauderdale, and West Palm Beach. But nice, um, yeah, and I spent. Uh, eight years um, doing that work. Although I think you have some familiarity with that type of work. It's, you know, it, there's a lot of work that goes on in that space. Like your work pretty hard. Oh my gosh. I mean, anybody who is in a professional services business, like, like it sounds like you were during that time, it would be very, it would be frenetic, uh, long hours, potentially lots of time at client locations, um, not totally in, in, not totally in charge of your own schedule a little bit. So it makes family life hard possibly. <laughs> Actually, kind of another funny story, and I don't know how many of these stories you want to pursue, Jay, but I'm happy to just like share. Yeah. Uh, so I had I moved down to Florida. I got married to my wife Kathy, uh, who we can talk about later in this podcast, probably. But yeah. Um, so it was. I think it was about a year. We got married in October, and so a year later, and maybe a month or two, we were at the Price Waterhouse Cooper's Christmas party, and. Um, Kathy and I were talking to the partner in charge of the office. Now, like, I'm just a plebe, right? And right, right. You're, yeah. you're, you're, the, you're the young guy who showed up who carries the briefcase. Exactly. He carries the luggage and the, yeah, and the briefcase, as it turns out. But, uh, you know, so we're talking to the partner in charge, which is a little bit intimidating. And um, 
he was, he was a great guy named guy named Shelly Snyder. And he says to me, he goes, uh, so Frank, you've been married for a year now. How's it going? I'm like, it's going okay. So he looks at Kathy says, Kathy, how's it going? And Kathy says, well, he's been traveling so much. It only feels like half a year. And I'm like, oh, is this a oh, career-limiting move that just happened? You know, but, uh, he was a good sport, and um, and Kathy is a good sport about it. But uh, you know, as we described, you, you work pretty hard in those jobs. Oh yeah, twenty-four-seven. Twenty-four-seven. Yeah. So I did that for uh, about eight years. I think it is now. It's going back. But, but, but Frank, what a, what a great training! Oh, unbelievable! Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I can't think of a better. For, for, for accounting such a top-notch firm to be in a place where I would imagine there was a lot of very interesting business situations going on in that sort of that eastern coast of Florida corridor and being a young guy motivated, wanting to learn a lot. You must have learned so much in that eight years. I did. And, uh, and tremendous experience would not uh, give it up for anything. Um, and in fact, I ended up mo- much of my time while I was at Pricewaterhouse, I ended up in New York. Uh, one of my large clients, I think I'm allowed to say this, was a company called IBM, uh, which many people know. And uh, so we were working, you know, both in South Florida, they had some large operations, which is where they were running all of their PC businesses, but then as well um, up in Armonk is where their headquarters was. So I spent a lot of time going back and forth uh, between those uh, locations. Well, those were exciting times for IBM in the PC business. It, I remember it that were they exciting had, times. Yes, exactly. They, they had things based in Orlando and other places in Florida. And I, I remember that time. It was pretty, just exciting. And you must have to be, to have been part of it would have been kind of a formative experience for you. Yeah. Great learning experience. Loved the work that I did there. Um, eventually after about eight years, um, I left, uh, PwC, um, and I took a job as a chief financial officer for a small public company. It was a company called Niagara and they made kind of commercial grade, you know, home therapy equipment. So think, uh, adjustable beds, um, massage units, but kind of, you know, commercial stuff. Um, and, uh, it was interesting when I left Price Waterhouse, it was really just, you know, just looking for another challenge, uh, like what's going to be the next challenge in my life. Um, so I was at, so I joined Niagara. I was only there for a year and I ended up launching a business called Control Solutions. Um, and it was at, at a time when, um, you know, there was outsourcing, there's a lot of outsourcing going on, uh, in the manufacturing sector. So this is really more outsourcing on the services side, started out as, uh, outsourcing, um, internal audit work for companies, um, and then expanded into kind of compliance consulting practice, um, ran that business for 18 years, I think it was, and then ended up selling to a French company, Altran. Um, you know, at the time we sold, we had about 800 or a thousand employees. We were in about 22 countries around the world. Um, as it turns out, like you, you imagine that the United States has a lot of regulatory schema but you go overseas and they've got regulatory schema on steroids. Oh, I'm and, sure. Uh, yeah. so lots and lots of opportunities to help, you know, most of our customers were like fortune 2000 type companies um, and helping to support them and um, in complying with all various regulatory schema. So. <laughs> well, congratulations, Frank. I, I know what it takes to build a business and to build a business of that size and that complexity and, but to have the entrepreneurial spirit. Um, there it's, it's, it's exciting. It's, I'm sure there are challenges along the way. I'm sure you had many challenges, but to, to kind of get through all of that is a big testament to, uh, to you, to your capabilities, to your optimism. Uh, uh, well, and a lot there of are people, challenges. 
and a good team too. And I think, you know, this Jay, it's about the people that you have, right? I mean, I had some incredibly smart people working at control solutions that really, uh, you know, helped the business succeed, um, you know, over the years. And, you know, many of those folks I still stay in contact with and they have had incredibly successful careers. So sweet. Well, well done. And then <clears throat> maybe just transition a little bit here <clears throat> to the family side. And how did you end up in New Hampshire? And, and, and all of that. Yeah. So when I started uh, the business control solutions, we were in um, South Florida and the business was doing well. We were doing OK. Um, my wife is from New England. And so she really wanted to kind of get back home, uh, so to speak, in terms of getting back to New England. Um, and I was a little intimidated by that because moving a company, as you know, is not necessarily that easy <laughs> uh, on, on paper. It maybe looks easy, but it's not that easy. Um, but eventually we relocated um, Control Solutions to the Northeast, kept an office down in Florida, but uh, relocated our headquarters up to, to New Hampshire. And uh, my wife was very happy to be back where there were seasons. Um, and at that point in time, we had some children and uh, she just really wanted her kids to grow up with some of the experience that she had uh, growing up. She grew up in Rhode Island, um, you know, with the seasons and winters and summers and all the fun things that go on in New England. That's fantastic. Well, and uh, the um, and now you, you speaking of large families, uh, you also have a number of kids, right? I, and, a, and a wonderful family, and, I and <laughs> yeah, and 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 you also made a decision along the way to uh, homeschool your children, uh, which at the time I probably wasn't as as prevalent as it's it's really. I think there is a major trend in direction of great education flexibility. How, what was the thought process behind that, and how did? Not only how did it happen, but but what was the has what has the experience been like for you, Frank? Yeah, so I mean, so you, to your point earlier, like we do have a large family, so I have seven children now. Um, and if you look at them today, they're mostly grown, right? I have uh, you know five of them are out of college. I've got one in college and one who is still at home. Um, and when we were thinking about their education. Um, you know, my wife has a degree in early childhood development, so she knew some things that were really important to help be formative for our kids. Um, and she was very committed to saying, like, you know, we we got this. We think we can do a pretty good job educating our children um, and creating pathways that just kind of let each one of them sort of find their own way in life. Um, and that's kind of the attitude that we have had. Um, we believe that, you know, children can learn in all kinds of contexts, you know, learning is not limited from 7.30 to 2.30 inside a building, um, but that kids are just like little curiosity machines that just want to explore all kinds of things. And really the goal is to just kind of channel all that curiosity and energy into good places for them um, and let them pursue kind of their passions and their dreams as much as possible. 100 percent well I, I hats off to you because and and what was the experience like with um as you've had that many sort of uh, the kids in the house the learning going on uh you're running a business um in the early years it must have been really quite the scene can you imagine the chaos right <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there was just there was a lot going on as you describe um but the thing that you have to keep in mind particularly with the children like all of those things are, are formative. Um, I mean, I can remember, you know, my children, I would uh, regularly take them, you know, trade shows uh, with me, right? And mm -hmm. so 
you know, they'd be having these experiences at trade shows. Uh, truthfully, as young kids, their their favorite thing to do at trade shows was to run around to all the booths and collect bling uh, from the trade shows. Of course, yeah, absolutely. You know, there, right. Um, they would come home with all kinds of loot and share it with their brothers and sisters, right? Uh, but, you know, the so they had all these different kinds of experiences because we had the flexibility to do that, right? It was okay if you, you know, took a week and went to a trade show in Dallas, Texas with your dad and hung out and had conversation. Oh, I love with, it. I love with, it. With That's still fantastic, Frank. Learn about it. things, um, you know, uh, or they would have opportunity to travel. Um, you know, they would come to me. Uh, I, I hope I, I want to share this. I hope it doesn't sound kind of exclusive, but um, after I sold my company to Altran, uh, which is a French company, I often had to travel to Paris for meetings with my now own, new owners of the company. And um, I can still remember, I, I don't know how I did this or why I did this. I, I took my daughter and one of her friends with me on one of these trips. And I can remember I had to go to meetings in Paris, uh, you know, so at, at the office building there. And um, I I took the the girls who were at the time, I think they were like 14 and 15. I showed them how to ride the Paris subway. I showed them how to get to the Louvre. And I said, look, I got to go to these meetings, right? I gave them a cell phone. Um, and I said, you know, just get on the train, go down to the Louvre. Here's money. You're going to buy your tickets and you get to spend the day in the Louvre. And uh, and I, I'm a little bit shocked that I did that now. Like, if you think about that, it almost sounds Oh, my like gosh. It. Right, right. That you would let you your know, children. You could almost get arrested these days for things. Couldn't like do that. it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but, but again, to the experiences for the kids to be able to just ex have that opportunity uh, to explore yeah. kind of a foreign city and navigate a subway system in a big city like that, and um, and feel comfortable to be able to do that, have the confidence to be able to do that, um, I think is a is a beneficial thing for them. Well, you know, what a great transition to another topic I'd just love to get to, which is the this whole area of educational choice. And, and as a backdrop to that, um, you know, one of the experiences, of course, Frank, you and I share is that we both have um, run for governor in New Hampshire. And of course, I, I, you, you, you much more free, much more recently than me, but back in 1998, when I ran many years ago, um, I was very much a proponent on the education side for school choice and that to give um, uh, students and basically kids and their families just options and because there's no one size fits all and uh, let's let's get very creative and think about having the money follow the kid and uh, and, and give parents lots of uh, choice in education which creates a competitive system all the all the great things and and uh, customized education and it may have been a little bit ahead of my time in, in that in that sense but I I have been very supportive of many of the things that you've been doing in the education area. I'd love to, maybe if you just talk about your Learn Everywhere program, education freedom accounts, I mean, just the wonderful things that you're doing as our uh, commissioner of, uh, of education here in New Hampshire. Yes, happy to weigh in on those. Um, and, and truthfully, Jay, the reason we've been able to make so much progress is really because of the work that you know, people like you and others uh, before me, you know, laid some great groundwork, played or plowed some some ground on this topic so that it was really time to kind of move this agenda uh, to a new level. And that's what we've been able to do. So Learn Everywhere is a, um, a program that kind of has its origins in a visit that I had with uh, the, at the Central High School in Manchester, New Hampshire at about 831 evening. Um, I showed up at the school. There was a first robotics team that was there. 
and I walk in, I got about 25 kids and I got a group of kids who are coding in Java, trying to get their robot to navigate through a course. I go in the back room, I've got two Bosch engineers working with the kids, showing them how to build the robot and actually building the robot themselves. And as I'm finishing up my, my visit with the team, uh, there's a young lady who is the captain of the team and she comes up to me and she says, Commissioner, you have to help us. You know, the school closes at 10 o'clock at night. We need it open till 11. And I'm like, my first thought was, ding, I win. I've got kids like now begging to keep the schools open, right? That doesn't happen. And then, but my second thought was these poor kids, they're going to go home and all this learning that they've been doing for five hours on engineering and coding and leadership and organization, that doesn't count. And they're going to do two hours of homework and that will count. And so I said, well, this is silly. Like, why don't we just find like kids are already engaged in lots of programming. Why don't we just like find out where they're learning and let that count? Um, Absolutely. So that's, yeah, that's the origin of Learn Everywhere. And like, if you just see, look across the state, you know, students, children are engaged in programming all over the place. Much of it is really just core learning. Um, and so can't we just like capture that knowledge that they have, you know, mastered and let them move forward? And one of the things that's really important about the Learn Everywhere program is that oftentimes in education, when you have these kind of uh, choice conversations, it becomes sort of an either or, right? It's like a zero sum game. If one person wins, another person loses. And Learn Everywhere is really about an expanding universe. It's just creating more opportunities for students, but doesn't take anything away, right? It lets students have pathways but doesn't limit them in any particular way. Um, and so I think that's, it, it was, it's a win-win, right? So it made sense. We had a lot of pushback trying to get it put in place in New Hampshire, but uh, my understanding is that eight other states have now adopted the program or something mm -hmm. similar to it, and another 12 are working towards adopting it. So you can see like when you get one of those good ideas, it can be hard to get through, but once you get it, people go like, aha, let's do this, right? And then they get to move forward. And, um, and I'm proud that New Hampshire is able to kind of be that catalyst for change, maybe not just here in New Hampshire, but across the country. Well, congratulations. I would like to, I'd love to ask you a question about just explaining, if you would, the nuts and bolts of the program, kind of how it works, and, and then also the relationship to the education freedom accounts, because I think those are important too. But as I do that, um, I, I also want to make the point here that what you've done in New Hampshire is yet again, uh, New Hampshire being a leader that New Hampshire being a uh, almost, I think, a very positive laboratory where we where we try things, we're the first in the nation and people catch on that we're very entrepreneurial in New Hampshire and uh, can really lead the way. So congratulations. Yeah, we really do have a great ecosystem for trying to do these kinds of things. So, um, so Learn Everywhere and Education Freedom Accounts share the same spirit of trying to create opportunities for students. So whereas Learn Everywhere is really capturing um, the, the learning that students are getting in all these different environments that they might be engaged in, uh, there's no money involved in it. Whereas the Education Freedom Account has that same spirit. It says, you know, children have individual learning pathways and our goal is to get them on those pathways so that they can be successful. I mean, that's what we want to see happen for them. And so what really happens with an Education Freedom Account is that the state pays a portion of a student's education, about 25 or 30% of that, depending upon the district. And what we really want to do is allow families the flexibility to access those funds and deploy it in education programming that they think is going to be a best fit for their student. And so that's how the education freedom accounts work, is that a student will make an application. 
Um, at present, the, the program is limited to uh, economically disadvantaged families. So these are families that are 300% of the federal poverty level or below about $80,000 for a family of four with two, you know, two children in the family. And um, they can make an application for that. We fund a digital wallet for them, a little like a Venmo account. And then they get to spend that on education program that's been approved. So we know that it's legitimate education programming, um, but really includes a very broad um, you know, choice in terms of what that programming might look like, again, so that the parents can make choices about what's going to fit the needs of their, their child the best. That is so spectacular. And uh, I can only imagine it, it has taken, I, I think it's a brilliant program, and I can only imagine that it has taken a, a fair amount of uh, explanation, persuasion, uh, and, and work to kind of get it adopted. But congratulations to you for doing that, Frank, because it's it's a real revolutionary step for New Hampshire. It is. It is a great opportunity. I mean, we've, and to your point, um, Jay, we've got so much innovation going on in here. We've talked about education freedom accounts and learn everywhere, but I mean, we've got our rekindling curiosity, our yes, every student, our bright future learning pods. Uh, so all kinds of experimentation and innovation and creativity taking place here in New Hampshire to really just open up worlds for our children so that they can have bright futures. That's so exciting. Well, what a wonderful note perhaps to end on, uh, Frank. Um, is, is there anything else you would like to close with in terms of um, uh, where you would like to take this program going forward uh, and, and what you see as the, as the, as the future? Please feel free to to, to share and uh, and we'll and then we'll say thank you and wrap up uh, wrap up the American Sunshine podcast. Great. So we are just going to continue to open up worlds um, of innovation and pathways for students and families. Um, oftentimes that means going with working side by side with our school systems to kind of drive some of that innovation. Sometimes that means working with our industry partners or our nonprofit sector partners or directly with their families to just create opportunities wherever they might be for our children here in New Hampshire. Awesome. Really, truly awesome. Well, Frank, thank you so much for being part of American Sunshine, the podcast, and we wish you the very, very best going forward. Thank you so much, Jay. It's been a pleasure joining you.